Hello, extempers, speech and debaters, and everyone else. Welcome back to another episode of Two People Rambling About Things That You Don't Care About. I'm you, you. And I'm that other guy that you don't care about. And this is the half hour. If you have dedicated your time to listening to all now five episodes of this mini series we call the prep room then kudos to you like we've been rambling on a lot about a lot of intricacies within extemp in hopes that you can take away some of those things to make yourself better so really good job to you you got the dedication you got the drive it just shows that you're going to be super successful in extemp Um, But just generally to our audience, thank you for listening to The Prep Room and taking our advice into consideration um, and just showing your support. It's the reason why we keep doing what we're doing, despite being busy college students. So today's episode is going to be on structure slash substructure. So everybody knows the normal extemp speech has like an introduction, three points, and then your conclusion to tie it all up. But within your three points, there's this thing, or like within your three points, also within the introduction and even conclusion, there is this thing called substructure. And substructure is basically kind of what it sounds like, the structure of your points. We know the general structure of extemp speech, but we're narrowing it down to the structure of what your points should look like, what your intro should look like, what your conclusion should look like, et cetera. But with a more focus on, or with a bigger focus on your points. So kind of a interesting thing to look at here. Um, Everything that we've basically talked about, some of which is going to be thrown out the window. Okay. Honest truth. Um, some of the things that we've discussed before no longer apply. And kind of the way that we have this set up is by this point in time, if you're giving if you were giving speeches or working and prepping on speeches at this point, you'd be sitting there like something seems off. I'm missing something. And that's typically what happens at this point. We know how to formulate an introduction, right? And we, we've talked a little bit about like that structure of an introduction where you have like a hook, you have a link, you connect it to background, have a statement of significance, a thesis, et cetera. Um, we've talked about how you organize the body a little bit, how you put together each of these points. Um, we have a rough idea of how substructure works from there, but that that's just not true anymore. We're throwing that out the window. It no longer applies. Um, sourcing, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about it. There's a couple ways that we can discuss it. And then transitions, I mean, transitions is basically what transitioned into this, right? Um, that's kind of the start of substructure and how it all works. But at the end of the day, this is basically stuff that, um, it gets you that second to that first, um, And it's a lot. Um, Admittedly, this is, I will say now, this is going to be complicated, um, especially because 
back in episode two, we talked about different types of questions um, and speech construction. Um, but he, here's the thing. Those question types also formulate the structure of your points um, and the structure that's within the points and kind of devises a specific way that you have to go about it, um, which is why it increases from, which is why if you are able to do this, that's your second tier first. I think you, you would agree with me here. Organization is one of the most looked at parts of an extemp speech. Oftentimes, yeah. it's really the winner. It's the winner of your round. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's true for a lot of the other events that we do. Like organization and structure is really important for doing your debate um, constructives and doing your rebuttals. Uh, structure and organization is also important for oratories, infos, even your speech events like POI, especially with something that doesn't really have that much structure but with an extent it is key i would say if you don't have organization within your extent speech then it becomes very messy it lacks analysis and it doesn't actually answer the question so having organization and knowing about substructure may help elevate your extent game just a little bit more but if what you're already doing is like working for you and you're like, fine, you don't really want to get into the weeds, the nitty gritty of it all. That's completely fine. Like, stick with what you're doing. But if you're interested, or you just want to like, listen to what we have to say about substructure and how we think it affects your extent game, then go ahead, keep on listening. Um, take everything that we say as a grain of salt. And what I mean by that is just like, if you don't understand a specific concept or you, you think it's getting a little too complicated, that's okay. We'll try to like make it as simple as we can. But at the end of the day, it is all about just organization. And today we're just going to talk to you about ways that you can get better at organization. I think kind of a good starting point here is more like, is more around like the history of Extemp, especially recently. Um, sounds boring. But there's there's a real reason why this has kind of started to exist in Wyoming. But I think we're going more like history of Wyoming extemp kind of thing. Um, this is something that's been looked at for a very long time. Um, but it just really hasn't clicked. Uh, one of the things I mentioned was the national circuit kind of started changing to substructure in about the 2010s. Um, probably 2011 was really when it hit. Um, it was really focused on delivery and fluency for a very long time. So if you sounded pretty, your speech was good. Um, the, co the collegiate circuit started drizzling down into the national circuit in terms of substructure really recently um so this is like kind of to note speech and debate has been around since before world war ii and that that's just to give you kind of a rough idea of like this is very new in comparison um all of this is still kind of developing to find like the perfect sweet spot of substructure um for our state 
kind of in the mid 2010s is when we started seeing a rise in content and analysis, which is usually the key to moving into substructure, as we know. Um, and then most recently, we've seen substructure kind of come into play. Um, substructure for state finals in particular has been looked at quite a bit over the last few years. The last two years, for some odd reason, has been a delivery and fluency. We've seen kind of a resurgence in traditional extemp, which is kind of odd. Um, not something that we expected to have happen, especially after like a significant change for structure and substructure. Kind of to illustrate like how big this change is, um, the state champion in extemp has been different 11 years in a row. Okay, that's kind that does say quite a bit. That's usually an illustration of some kind of change happened to make a make a mark that has caused a lack of a repeat, right? Now, admittedly, you you it is hard to win state. Okay, it's very difficult. But the best extempers being beat at the state level in back when their opportunities to have back-to-back -back years is a really big indication of it. We we can think of um, Lauren Blackwelder, for example, who won it in 2019 and missed it in 2020 um, as like a prime example, because everybody knows that the year that she got that she won in 2019, she was a national semifinalist. Yeah, I think just any indication of you know, extempers changing from year to year and not really being able to have back-to-back -back state championships is something that should be looked at and also an indication of how substructure has really influenced the extemp game or like more so the intricacies of extemp and the style of extemp has in, um, influenced the way that judges look at extemp, judge extemp and kind of make favorites on their type of style. I would say like on the national circuit, Jacqueline Way has been, I don't know, just an inspiration generally. She is the only one that I know of um, just recently that has been able to have back-to-back -back national championships in domestic extent. Um, she graduated now, but she also has a video about improving extemp she has one that is for novices she also has one that is for varsity i would definitely go check out those videos they're on the nsda youtube site but i think she does a really good job of like nailing structure each episode we have like a question of the episode is the plan i think for this for the purpose of this episode because this is probably going to be a long episode we're going to throw them out the window um, and this is just because there's a lot, um, there's a lot to cover and it's just, it's crazy. Um, so generally speaking, back in episode two, we talked about a general organization for a point is claim warrant impact, right? Kind of similar to debate, right? You make, you have a proposed argument you back it up with something else and then you explain the impact. But if you've been using this, you'll notice that on some questions, it's not working um, because it's kind of a dumb structure. No, nothing, 
nothing against it if you've been using it for a while. Um, it's not dumb. It's not dumb. It's just it doesn't fit as well. Like, yeah. you don't fit into every single size of clothing, right? You have to kind of like change it up a little bit. <laughs> that, that's that's a better phrasing. That's a better phrasing. Um, admittedly, this is like this area is also kind of like my bread and butter. Right. I got a lot of really nice ballots on it. Um, I went to a tournament in Utah um, back in my senior year, and a judge asked me after my speech, they were like, did you read my paradigms? And I said, no, because I don't read extemp paradigms on tab room. I don't care. Right. Because extemp is extemp. Deal with it. Right. Um, and he turns around and goes, well, first and foremost, you should read your judge's paradigms, which is probably something that you should do. Right? And he said, but the other thing is, you did everything that I wanted you to do, and I've never seen it before. Never seen it exactly perfect. Hey, and it's the truth. Um, this is really a perfect organization, especially out of this state. Um, kind of one of my goals in Extemp. I, I coached a little bit last year. One of my goals was to try to transform Extemp from its continuous traditional ideology into the modern version that makes Wyoming competitive. And I think Wyoming needs to be competitive um, because relatively speaking, Extemp is its weak suit at the national tournament. We're really good in Interp. We have a lot of good debaters. Um, extemp is definitely one of the weaker areas though and seeing what we've had in the past we're starting to figure it out but it's really this area that is key um, for the improvement side of issues yeah I completely 100% agree with that I think the moment I started realizing maybe Extemp is a little bit more complicated than what we know it as was at the James Logan tournament my junior year where I was competing in extemp and I was in the semifinals round and I was outside I was like practicing my speech and like about to give it I was like oh whatever it's like any other extemp speech um but I hear that, like other people right beside me come up to their teammates and be like oh, wait, I don't have an impact for this point. Or like, oh, wait, this doesn't even make sense. It doesn't follow a structure. And I'm like, wait, <laughs> you have to have impacts. <laughs> you have to have a structure <laughs> to extend. And kind of that was like my awakening moment into realizing, uh, okay, there's more parts to extend than just making a speech and reciting that speech. And it's harder than we like to think, especially some varsity might, realize or might have this feeling that like oh I've done this for so long now like I know what I'm doing or some diversity is even like I don't know what I'm doing at all and I've been doing it for like four three years now and that's something that's completely normal to feel understanding substructure might help you feel a little bit more <laughs> like you know what's going on and you're not just kind of like bsing your way through it so I guess we could get into the questions um we're gonna separate this window. what I, I mentioned that we we're gonna throw those out the window oh you're gonna throw those out the window okay well not the questions then i think like then just 
the three types of questions again. Okay. So we are going to start with kind of the types of questions. And I guess as a reminder, I will read the question that we had, even though we're throwing it out the window, um, just to like remind you what it means. (laughs) So the predictive question is, will recent success of Asian and Asian American movies spark more Asian American representation in media? The descriptive question is, what are the best ways to ensure businesses and other institutions offer equal access to Americans with disabilities? The prescriptive question is, what steps should the U.S. government take to narrow the gender pay gap? Um, The reason why we kind of distinguish between predictive, descriptive, and prescriptive, descriptive, and prescriptive, sorry, tongue twisters, is because structure changes with the type of question that you have. Um, Like we've mentioned before, nothing stays the same. It is very fluid. Structure tends to change with the type of question that you have because you're answering the question in a different way. So whatever you want to start with, Spencer. (laughs) Well, not only does structure change, substructure changes too. And that's where this gets really annoying. I will. I want to follow up on something that you you mentioned earlier about like, oh, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got a hang of this, right? I I want to kind of talk about that real fast because I feel like there's an important philosophy here. I actually have a I I hold a philosophy like when I was competing, um, I held this philosophy while I was coaching. I never directly said it out loud as a coach. I'm going to say it directly out loud here. That philosophy is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Okay. And I, I really mean this statement. If you don't work to get better, the competition around you is getting better, which means that even though you're doing really, you may be thinking that you're doing well, you're falling down the ranks. So say you had a tournament that you went straight once and you're like, I got my game perfect. I don't need to do anything to change this. The next tournament, you're going to get twos or threes. And it's not going to be, you're probably not going to get a single first. It happens, it happens so quickly because everybody around you is getting better. And it is, you just can't ignore the problem. You have to, you have to realize that what's happening around, like you can't have this mental philosophy of, oh, I know what I'm doing, so I'm not going to change anything. Please be sure that you're practicing and continuously improving your game because judges will notice it and you will get caught, and you're going to fall down the rankings really quickly. And another thing is just like, it's not that the people around you are getting better, but it might be a combination of a whole bunch of factors where you had different judges, you have a different judge pool, you have different competition around you, in which case you need to adapt. And kind of improving your game means learning how to adapt in new ways and how to be a public speaker is basically what we're trying to say. Without any further delay, let's kind of explain substructure. I'm going to go through all of them real fast, and we'll kind of break it down. In a predictive question, when you have, when you're, when you draw a predictive question, remember it's usually indicated by will. Okay, your speech flows each point. Okay, each point that you have the substructure of the point. So everything that's ingrained in it, 
has three parts. Okay? In a predictive question, that is past, present, future. That's very simple. Okay. So, so if we have the question, will Joe Biden win in 2020? Okay, because obviously he did. Okay. Um, so why would why will Joe Biden win? Well, the past showed really good approval ratings for him. The present at that time is excellent, um, excellent support amongst uh, minorities, gro growing changes within states that could become battlegrounds. And the future is, well, obviously, this is going to lead him to becoming the president. Okay. That's a point. That is not one speech. And that's something that people need to remember is oftentimes when they take this approach, they'll say my first point is going to be the past. My second point is going to be the present. My third point is going to be the future. Don't do that. The first point has a past, present, future. The second point has a past, present, future. The third point has a past, present, future. Predictive asks you to make a prediction and you make that prediction based off of past and present events. And that's how you determine a future impact, okay? So that's predictive. Descriptive, you're asked to describe, okay? Each point obviously still has three parts to it, okay? In this instance, you have status quo change impact, okay? So you have what's going on now, you have what is described to be as a change, and you have the impact of it. This is very similar to a debate argument. It, it's just not like how we originally anticipated it to be, right? It's claim warrant impact. But if you really think about it, it's very structured like it. Um, status quo, let's say we have the public forum topic of blockchain, for example. Um, say the status quo is cryptocurrency is at an all-time high, okay? Your change is going to be implementing federal regulation is going to cause a stop or implementing federal regulation is going to cause innovation to slow down and the impact is lack of innovation hurts technology okay so it's very simple same same idea once again that's all on a point point one status quo change impact point two status quo change impact point three status quo change impact in descriptive speeches it is important to know that the change is what's often missed. A lot of people discuss about the status quo and the impact, but it's oftentimes forgotten about what changes to cause that impact. Um, one of the things that's important I should mention here, each of these parts are sourced. So if you have predictive questions, the past is sourced, the present is sourced, the future is sourced. If you have a descriptive question, the status quo is sourced, the change is sourced, the impact is sourced. Everything has a source. So that's how judges are able to identify each part of the structure. That way they can see the chronological order. Prescriptive questions are really tricky. Um, the way that we, the way that those are broke down is once again, three parts, cause, effect, solution. Okay. So you have, um, we have the gender pay gap question. We'll, we will use that one. So the cause right now is employers are uh, employers are paying less money to women and more specifically to mothers. Okay. Um, by the way, that's an interesting fact. I'm taking a sociology class, but 
once you become a mother with a child, you actually get paid less than just regular women, which is really stupid. But anyway, um, that's a very opinionated statement. Um, the cause is, well, women are being paid less in comparison to men. The effect is um, this is caused this causes single mothers to be to have a much more difficult time supporting their children and the solution to this problem is implementing an equal rights law that will allow for equal pay for um equal pay for women and mothers okay something like that um when you implement a solution in a prescriptive question you do have to ask who it affects what it affects when it affects where it affects why it affects and how it affects a lot and that's what makes prescriptive really difficult um as we talked about earlier back all the way in episode two of this prescriptives are hard okay and this only makes it harder um but admittedly this is what works once again this is all in each point point one cause effect solution point two cause effect solution point three cause effect solution each point has this and this makes the speech really sound. Um, it's a lot of moving parts. It's very difficult. Um, but once you're able to recognize the question types, lay out a speech structure effectively, and then you start to try to implement this here, your speech has become so good. Um, there's, I mean, admittedly, it's a lot, um, but you, you, had you, have, let's just say, had you have known this walking into your tournament, what might have changed? Just kind of a thought process. Um, I think like right now, I will just say, if you all are confused as to what Spencer just said and like what came out of his mouth, that's fine. Um, but if you do like understand it, then I think you might know yourself that you've been doing the things that he has talked about just subconsciously or you didn't know that you were doing it as you were giving your speeches especially as varsity i think um that is kind of how i was doing it and i was approaching extemp my senior and my junior year when i was doing extemp is that i was subconsciously doing the substructure part of extemp that made the speech good and made the speech impactful without like knowing that I was doing it. And because I didn't know that I was doing it, I failed to do it every time. Um, and what I mean by that is I would have a speech kind of set, but when I was like looking up information or I was like, I didn't have enough time to kind of look at information and then compose it into a well-structured speech. I started losing that substructure. And as a result in those rounds, I didn't do as well as I wanted to, or as well as I could have. And just understanding substructure and kind of understanding these moving parts behind what makes a good and successful speech is the first step into how you yourself can improve your extent game and kind of structure around that way. Um, things I kind of want to like talk more about and kind of jump off what Spencer said about everything is, um, I guess we could start with prescriptive questions. So like the moving part, cause, effect, um, 
what was it again? Like cause effect? Well, we're doing prescriptive. So it's cause effect solution. Yeah. Cause effect solution into every single point. I want to iterate that it is working in tune with structure. And so what I mean by that is if you take this question, for example, what steps should the U.S. government take to narrow that gender pay gap? Well, um, if you go back to our introduction video all the way, like episode one, you will realize that once you have a thesis statement, once you have a statement of significance, it's way easier to structure all of your points in conjunction to that thesis statement to connect it all together. And as a result, this is how you can make every single point cause effect solution. Because if you have that statement already in your thesis, you are tuning your points to support that thesis. And so what I'm saying is if the solution that you give is to just like say, implement a gender bill or something like that, or an equality act, then that would be the central thing that you're focusing towards. And one of your points might be, we need to like get Congress to agree or whatever. That would kind of just be like, the cause is, this is something that the people want. Um, this is something that people are pushing for. The effect would be if Congress like got together, they could eventually agree on the gender bill or on the equality bill and pass it, get the signatures that they need. And then the solution would just be as a result, this can help decrease the um, gender pay gap because we have passed an equality bill or something like that. Like maybe it's a bad example, but I think that's just a way for you to contextualize what's going on and the moving parts within kind of prescriptive questions. I actually think UU gives an interesting example here because that's actually a really good way of doing a descriptive speech um, because UU provided something that is exactly, um, and this is how it's really hard, right? It's just difficult for us to like put it together. Because a lot of people wanting change is actually what's happening now, right? Congress passing a bill is a change, right? And the impact is, in this instance, you're seeing like a reduction in the gender pay gap, right? Um, so that's an that's a status quo change impact, right? Um, not telling that UU is giving a bad example. That's actually a great example of descriptive. Um, so something that's more cause effect related using that same example, right? Um, maybe something more along the lines of, uh, you can almost reorganize it a little bit. Um, you can say the cause is that Congress hasn't fixed a problem relating to the gender pay gap. An effect of that is people are demanding change in the United States. And then a solution that you could provide is Congress and President Biden need to act to pass federal reg regulation in order to reduce the gender pay gap. That is a, I think this is a really good example, right, of how difficult this is, but um, how like fine tuning it just a little bit can actually make it sound better. Yeah, I mean, I will say and like defend myself that I think my example still works in terms of like cause effect solution. It's just the way that you interpret what cause effect solution is. I also think that cause effect solution is something that's super broad. Um, so in terms of this, like the example that we've both given is an example of cause effect solution, but it's also an example of like status quo change 
the other part, you know, like it's very similar. I feel like they are interconnected in some type of way, but there are differences. Um, I just think once you understand the reason behind why you structure it this way or why substructure matters is going to be the easiest way to help you grasp this concept and kind of make it your own. Absolutely. It'll, it'll make it a little bit easier for you to like understand. Right. And yes, it is fairly interpretive. Um, admittedly, there is like a one singular kind of solution to it kind of thing. Right. Um, but the whole point here is um, the one that's really distinct from everything before I get to the whole point, the one that is distinct is predictive it should be past, present, future. If it sounds like something else, it's not right. Um, and that's just, I mean, like that's a pretty common thing. The judge sees the word will. I mean, even though it might not say, they might not think future tense right away. They do think, oh, well, this is gonna, I'm gonna find out whether or not this will happen. So they do think of like the future. And if you're talking status quo change impact or cause effect solution, then your speech, you, you've lost your judge. Like that, it's just something that quickly happens um, within that kind of topic. Yeah, and kind of just like contextualizing that last part of predictive questions. Um, I guess we could just go back to the question that we have um, just because it's there. But the question is, will recent success of Asian and Asian American movies spark more Asian American representation in media? If I were to go about saying yes, the past that I, or hold on. Yeah. If I were to go about saying yes, yes to that, one of my points would kind of be, um, I don't know. One of my points could have this substructure. I will just say this is the past Scarlett Johansson was cast as an Asian character in the movie The Ghost, which it was supposed to be a Japanese character, but Scarlett Johansson got the role. Um, the present, we have movies like Shang-Chi who are cast with actual Asian characters who are supposed to be playing the role that they're playing. There still needs to be some work done because like, not all Asians are cast into the specific Asian role that they're supposed to play. For example, some Koreans are cast as Chinese or some Chinese are casted as Koreans when in reality, that's it's not the same thing. Um, so in the future, how we improve on that is we will eventually get there where we are more aware of the different types of ethnicities within being Asian and that was kind of that's just kind of like one way you can structure a point and that's a great example right um past present future is very simple um and that's why most people take them and that's why they're like an easy as we go back to episode two that's why predictive questions are like a really easy uh formula because you can go into your round and say hey here's my question like if you do it right you're gonna get yourself a third every time like it, it's it's very simple straightforward kind of thing descriptives and prescriptives are a little harder and that's why um if you go with the prescriptive like i said it's a big risk but big risks make big rewards right like i said i i took several prescriptive questions and I took the big risk of cause effect solution, which is really hard, pulled it off. And when you pull it off, it's not like, it, it's an auto one, 
it's really, really good. Um, sometimes if you don't do them right, it's an auto six. Um, and it is kind of scary. Um, but or sometimes you give solutions that seem unachievable and you get a four, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, I think prescriptive sorry, I think prescriptive questions, it's always a tongue twister with me, um, are very difficult. But I think all questions can be difficult in some way, shape, or form. I guess it depends on what type of questions you like to take as extempers. But I think understanding substructure to each type of question and maybe even like playing around with substructure, maybe you can implement different types of structure, substructures for different types of questions and like play around with that. And maybe you find that it does work. Like what we're telling you now is what we know and what has been going on on the national circuit and the Wyoming circuit and just speech and debate generally when we talk about extent, but Obviously, everything is subject to change. Like, everything is subject to change within events and, like, the expectations of each event as we kind of grow as human beings, evolve in our ability to kind of, like, speak publicly and, like, change our opinions of what we think is a good speech versus what we think is a bad speech. Yeah. Um, one last one I think worth discussing. We, we didn't prepare any questions for this, but every once in a while, you get what's called a historical question or a hypothetical. Um, and this is actually, the reason why we wanted to go through this, and the reason why I like to go through this is because I, literally the foundations of, of a predictive speech, I literally saved your life. Um, historical questions. Let, let's say you get a question that was like, what was the resounding impact of Angela Merkel as chancellor of Germany, right? Because she played a massive role in Germany's history, right? So that's Isn't a historical. Merkel? Um, Sorry. A Angela, Angela Merkel. Merkel? Angela, Angela Merkel. Merkel. Okay. Good. I took German. Uh, my German is not very good, but I do know is Angela Merkel. Um, Back on track. <laughs> anyway, that'll be edited out. Um, so the, let, let's say you have this question, right? Um, what What is usually looked at for a historical question is, well, what am I supposed to do, right? Because historical is not descriptive. The resounding impact is... Um, a resounding impact that has happened in the past, okay? There is no status quo. With that being said, there is no cause, I mean, there could be a cause and effect, but there's no solution. And it happened in the past, so there's no past, present, future. So what are you supposed to do? Well, a historical question is a predictive question in the past. So what actually exists is a past, past, present, past, future, past. So what, what that means is if you were to discuss this topic, what happened before Angela was chancellor? What happened during their time as chancellor? And what was the ultimate impact? It's, it's almost like history, past, present kind of thing. 
right? So that, that's how a historical where works. So if you were to get a question like that, cool. Um, let's say you got a hypothetical. Um, so hypothetical is usually something like if Bernie Sanders wins the presidential election in 2024, what happens to the future of the United States? Like that, that's a broad example of a hypothetical. Um, it's things that are going to happen way in the future that we don't know would happen. Okay? And you are to make an argument based off of that. Okay? It's also a predictive question. But now it's future past, future present, future future. Okay, so you examine it um, kind of in the form of before, like future past would be now kind of thing. Um, the present is Bernie Sanders won twenty twenty four, right? So what's going to be the future? Socialism for everybody, right? Kind of thing. So we'll see more implementation or push for universal health care. We'll see. So that that's the kind of thing that a hypothetical brings. In terms of like the Wyoming circuit, hypotheticals are rare. Um, I want to note that. I know you, you have seen a few before. Okay. I've only pulled one in my entire speech career. Um, historicals will be more often. But if you end up with any of those, Going off of a predictive method just in the past or in the future will help you. Okay? So once again, they're predictive questions. It's just they're now changed to be based in a different time. Yeah, I think I would generally agree with that. Um, I want to give like a couple of examples of hypothetical questions. Uh, if you go to the Harvard tournament, great tournament, by the way. I recommend it. Lots of great extemp competition there. Um, but usually their finals round, um, they do each round with a specific topic attached to that round. So maybe round one is like Europe questions, round two is like Asia questions, stuff like that. But in the final round, their topic um, is called hypothetical triads. I went into that tournament knowing that like the final round was hypothetical triads. I didn't get to the final round, by the way, but like knowing that the final round was hypothetical triads, I was like, what the heck is a hypothetical triad, right? Well, those are your like hypothetical questions, um, but it incorporates three actors. So some examples of what hypothetical triads would be is like the Iranian government collapses. How can the United States take advantage of the collapse to undermine Russia's influence in the Middle East? East? OK, so it's something like Iran, Iran hasn't collapsed yet, but if it does, what should the U.S. do to undermine Russia's influence in the Middle East? And that's like a hypothetical there, because we know this actor hasn't actually done this thing yet. But if they did, what does actor B do um, to do something? It doesn't always have to include like three parties. Sometimes it's just two. Sometimes it's asking the hypothetical question of like, what will happen if we pull out of Afghanistan? I think that was like the thesis or the basis of one question that I had last year. Um, and I kind of like had a lot of fun with that question just because I think 
it allowed me to do a lot of analysis <laughs> and I like doing analysis. I think it works really well. It's really effective and it's a good way for you to kind of demonstrate to the judge that you know more about the topic than you actually do, or like you do actually know the topic and you're just flexing your knowledge. Um, but I think hypothetical questions can be really fun. I wouldn't be kind of intimidated by them. There's a lot you can do with them and there's a lot of benefits that can come with answering hypothetical questions too, just like if you were to answer like prescriptive questions. So the hypothetical that I drew and I did, I did select this question by the by, um, was me being, um, it, it was, um, what, like the prime minister of Ethiopia, it was a couple years ago. Um, it was what what the prime minister of Ethiopia would do under a specific circumstance. I cannot recall what that circumstance is. Um, for Wyoming, hypotheticals are usually if something, what would happen. It, there's not usually three parts to it, right? Um, that's just Harvard flexing on everybody. Um, but the the honest it, it's a really it's a really cool question um and i nailed it i i got the one in the round it it was because first off it's an unusual question to pull it was not a kelly walsh tournament i mean if you guys have been to kelly walsh you'll know that the questions are usually interesting and kind of different um no offense kelly walsh it's just you've got great you've got very odd questions um I pull, I've side story real fast. I've pulled college sports topics from Kelly Walsh. Honestly, like they, they've got some, in, they've got some interesting ones, but usually pulling those ones at that tournament, you you'll get ones. They're really cool. Um, so, but yeah, that was, that was a tournament that I got a hypothetical from and it was pretty cool. Um, because first and foremost, the judge goes, this is interesting. Because you don't expect, like, the judge doesn't expect that you're going to talk about something that is in the future or possibly could happen, right? Um, and then when you actually explain it, you get a, like, bonus. It's, it, like, not a bonus, but, like, you get really good um, analysis and success in the round. It, hypotheticals are like in comparison a prescriptive is still better in terms of like winning a round um but a hypothetical is more in comparison of like a descriptive in terms of like how well you can do in a round because prescriptives are still much harder um i i would argue i don't know what you you thinks um but i I found hypotheticals to be very easy. Um, it, they, they're right along the lines of that predictive descriptive area. Um, I still think that at the end of the day, if you had it in comparison to a prescriptive, I would take the prescriptive. Um, yeah. I mean, I would take the hypothetical <laughs> over the prescriptive. I, I think I've just come to realize that my type of style is somewhere where I can do analytics and not really offer a lot of solutions. And the reason why I think this is because when I've tried to offer like some solutions, I couldn't really do 
a lot of analysis as to like why that solution would work without going over time or I develop solutions, but then the judge is like, these solutions aren't realistic. You should be more realistic with your solutions, but there's not really any like good realistic solutions that would actually solve the problem. So I don't like to take prescriptive questions at all. Um, I think I choose questions based on what will make me most successful in the round, what I'm really comfortable with, what I really love to talk about and what I know I'm good at doing. And those are more analytical questions. Those are your descriptive questions. And those are also going to be the predictive questions and the hypothetical questions and the historical questions. I just think that with hypothetical questions, they have their like ease and also difficulties too. Just because if you don't do the right type of analysis, or if you don't do enough analysis, which I think some extempers tend to do, then you won't really get the best or like get the most out of the question that you've chosen. If you've chosen a hypothetical question, I would be careful about choosing hypothetical questions and just know when you choose hypothetical questions, what is expected of you to be successful with that question. Um, That's why I think they're like also kind of difficult. Yeah, I agree. That that's exactly exactly the point. Um, I guess this is actually a really good discussion. While I'm thinking about it, um, how do you make a realistic solution? Okay. Um, yeah. And I and it is a real complaint that some judges may have. Um, I was pretty good at making realistic solutions, apparently, even though like I'm pretty socialist. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm considered a socialist libertarian, um, kind of weird, but I'm not going into the politics behind that. Um, kind of like the idea of how you propose a realistic solution, right, is just kind of like a thesis. A solution should be kind of broad. Um, so something that I would often propose, like one of my solutions would be government should go in debt, right? Governments go in debt across the globe. It's not unrealistic. As a matter of fact, I think almost every government's in debt across the globe. I could be very wrong about that statement. Do not quote us. Um, but government debt is a real thing. They should, a government, government should go and bury themselves in more debt to fix the problem, right? If they have to spend more to spend more than what they have in terms of their budget to fix an issue, then government debt's a really good option. International cooperation is a very simple one. Um, if there's an issue that's happening within a country, um, reaching out to other countries is really not that difficult. All of the prime ministers have them on speed dial. Okay? Um, that's way probably not accurate, but... International cooperation is a really good, simple solution. Um, encouraging business growth. Um, you, don't, you don't implement business growth, you encourage it, right? Um, you innovate more. You can equal societies, um, or you can have congressional action for like domestic questions. You can have... Um, president signs an executive order you could have uh supreme court overturns this you could um there's 
like keep it simple, keep it broad, okay? but it still answers the solution, right? It's similar to a thesis. Those are just a few realistic ones that I used a lot. Um, government debt was one of my favorites um, because governments go in debt and it they that's just how it is, right? Um, I think the one that was my more unrealistic solution that I was really good with was um, encouraging entrepreneurship, right? Even even in like some countries that um, are communist and don't really like that. Um, entrepreneurship has still is still something that kind of exists in one way or another. Um, it's very kind of hard stretch and hard explanation to make. But having entrepreneurship really does help. Um, the United States run on ran on small businesses, right? Like small businesses drive this nation. Um, you can argue that Amazon's ruling the world. Um, you can argue that the same thing is with McDonald's, but small businesses really do help us. Um, and that's kind of the point that you can make is entrepreneurship, encourage it. It's really good. Um, very, very simple argument. And entrepreneurship can be done if you're talking about uh, racial change. There is something called social entrepreneurship, where you encourage more social entrepreneurship. So you have more black owned businesses, or you have more businesses owned by Asian Americans, or you have more so on and so on and so on. You, If you have an environmentalism question, there's something called green entrepreneurship. We've talked about it in a podcast. Okay? Green entrepreneurship is an answer to environmental problems. Okay? Entrepreneurship is actually a really cool answer. Um, and not a lot of judges think about it, but it's reasonable. And it's something that we can do without too much hassle, right? So think simple. Don't overthink it. Don't have like this complex 20-step solution that is going to take place on that that's going to be implemented in 2026 when the law passes, right? Keep it simple. Okay. And that that's usually like how you make a real if if it's like out there, it's unrealistic. Yeah. And I will rephrase that like. The questions I got and the solutions that I proposed, I didn't think were really like un like unattainable solutions. I think they were quite realistic. And if you really wanted to solve the issue, like these are the steps that you should take to solve the issue. And that is why I will stand by the fact that like even if you think that it is unattainable or not achievable, um, it doesn't matter because it is a step that you should take to kind of like solve the problem. And that's what the question was asking you. I will say that I have answered these prescriptive questions despite my hatred for them. Like, but they're mostly questions that are international questions. So for example, it would be kind of like, what steps should Modi take to promote or like to like win an, or win popular opinion in India or something like that? And I would take those questions and I would offer solutions like. Um, appeal to the farmers, stop corruption, like things like that, that are like pretty broad, but like steps that they should have taken and steps that they can take to increase popular support from the people. Um, so I usually tend to do the international sided 
kind of prescriptive questions because A, your judges don't really know the intricacies of the government that is abroad. And B, it still allows you to use the information and the knowledge that you have about that particular country or about that particular topic and use your own analysis on it and why that solution would work. Um, I just tend to stay away from them because of that one bad experience. But you don't have to stay away from questions because of one bad experience. Um, Yeah, I still stand by do what's most comfortable for you. I think that should be the key of the episode. Do what's comfortable for you, but follow the substructure. Um, Or have a substructure. (laughs) Please, please. Um, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. It's a long episode. We figured it was this one was going to be long. Um, there's there's just a lot to talk yeah. about. I don't think we even covered it all. I'll be fair. Um, <laughs> there's there is really a lot here. Um, it's a big area. Lot lots of issues to discuss with each part. Um, mm-hmm. if you guys liked this series, okay, we may be up to doing it again next year. Maybe. You're going to have to give us a couple of cookies and some brownies and some other things. Um, <laughs> send us money. I'm kidding. Send Don't, us do money. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, pay, pay our college tuition, please. If you pay our college tuition right out of your own pocket, we'll continue to do this more often. Okay. Um, we can't say that because both of our college tuitions are being paid, not by us. <laughs> who said that? <laughs> College is still expensive, but like, you know. If you give um, our parents a break from paying our college tuition, we will keep this going. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for watching. You use got an outro. Yeah. Thank you all so much for watching and listening to every single bit of this episode. If you made it this far, I'm proud of you. You deserve a nap. Um, <laughs> again, we hope that... You get the one in the round. And if you don't get the one in the round, do your best. Let us know how you did. Let us know how we did. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to DM either Spencer or me. We are available on Instagram and on our emails when we're not sleeping at 3 a.m. in the morning. Our business hours are 12 p.m. to 3 a.m. Just kidding. Not for all of us. But yeah, we appreciate the love and support. Thank you all so much for listening. We love you. We'll see you in the next episode. Um, have a great new year if this is when it's being published or have, have a great Christmas week. Have a great Christmas break. Y'all have a happy new year. Happy holidays. Don't get too drunk. Don't do anything illegal unless if you're caught. Um, and until next time. We will see you all later.